Well, it's hard to believe, for me especially, but it's been almost 50 years ago I was a middle school student. <laughs> you know, lots has changed over these years. Back in those days, church had Sunday evening worship services. And we even had a program before services called Training Union. And today we would probably call that a discipleship time. There was a time for kids and adults to go and have a discipleship time. And then at 7 o'clock we would all gather for a, a family worship service. Well, one of the activities that the students did back during this time was a Bible story trivia game. And we used a thing called flashcards. I, I tried to find some, but I couldn't. So uh, maybe somebody remembers flashcards. But we used flashcards back then. And there was some fierce competition that went on between the guys and the girls. And uh, I don't like to brag, but the guys usually won. And if you doubt me on that, you can ask my mom after the service. She would confirm that we were really good at this flashcard game. Well, 50 years later, I still remember one of the questions. Who was the young girl that left Peter knocking at the door? Who was the young girl that left Peter knocking at the door? And it was during these years that today's scripture became one of my most favorite stories of all the stories in the Bible. So I want to spend a little time just digging down a little bit deeper into these verses this morning. So let's look at verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivered him to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. This chapter begins with Herod Agrippa. He was the son of Herod Atipes and the grandson of Herod the Great. Well, Herod had this political knack of appeasing both the Jews and the Romans. His political acumen, it turned deadly for the church when he realized that persecuting Christians who lived in and around Jerusalem, well, that pleased the Jews. So Herod began his persecution of the church by ordering physical attacks against known Christians, and especially church leaders that were in Jerusalem. He had the apostle James. He was the son of Zebedee and the brother of the apostle John. Well, he had him killed. And then he had Peter arrested and held in prison to be executed after the Jewish Passover festival had ended. The night before his execution, Peter slept in chains and he was lying between two soldiers. Herod had even ordered additional guards to be posted at the prison door. Peter's release looked dim. And the probability of his death, well, that, was, that looked certain. What could be done? What could anyone do? In particular, what could the church do? What could it do to help Peter? You see, the church body certainly had no influence with the Jewish leaders. 
are the Romans authorities. Sounds somewhat familiar to today. Like many of us, when all else fails, when all else fails, the people prayed. The people prayed to God. And they did this earnestly. And they were united. They were united in one thought. The church was praying for Peter's release. But I think, I think deep down, the people were still expecting Herod to execute Peter. But I guess I'm getting ahead of myself. Back to verse 6. On that very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in the front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared, and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter in the side and woke him up, saying, Get up, quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. You see, Peter found him in jail for at least the third time. At least the third time as the result of his gospel preaching. And this night, the night before his expected execution, Peter slept in chains. He was lying between two soldiers. And he was sleeping soundly. Do you think, do you suppose that Peter was even worried about what the next day would bring? I think it was a tremendous testimony of Peter's faith in the Lord on how soundly he could sleep. How many of us would be like Peter knowing what was coming the next day? How many of us could sleep so soundly? And remember while Peter was sleeping, God's people, God's people were praying and the one, the one who never sleeps, God, the great I am, he intervened. God sent an angel to provide for Peter. You know, Peter was sleeping so soundly that the angel shined a bright light into the cell. It didn't wake Peter up. So the angel poked Peter in the side, said, wake up. And, and Peter did. Notice because of Peter's obedience, to the angel's command of get up quickly, the chains immediately fell off his wrist. You know, God is prepared to do marvelous things for us and through us when, when we're willing to obey him. Verse 8 says that the angel said to him, gird yourself, put on your sandals, and he did so. And then the angel said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and continued to follow. And Peter did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Even though Peter was still a, a bit confused and unsure whether the angel was really present or it was just a, a vision, Peter followed the specific instructions the angel had given him. He got dressed, slipped on his sandals, and put on his cloak. You see, while the Lord had arranged this remarkable deliverance, God expected Peter to do and to follow ordinary instructions. Verse 10 says, When they passed the first and second guard, they came to an iron gate that led into the city, which opened for them by itself. And then they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. The angel led Peter past not one, but two guard posts. 
without being detected. Then they came to this huge iron gate that led outside the prison into the city. And the gate, the gate just opened just as Peter and the angel approached it. I was thinking, you know, that perhaps God used his garage door opener on the gate and it just opened. But if so, the uh, Greek text didn't say it that way, but it did translate that it was a spontaneous, a spontaneous process. It miraculously opened as God caused the action. Then, just as suddenly as the angel had appeared, the angel left Peter standing in the middle of the street. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people we're expecting. So once outside the prison and walking the streets of Jerusalem, Peter finally woke up. He, he came to himself and he realized he hadn't been dreaming. He hadn't been seeing a vision. This was real life. It had happened. He was in jail and now he was standing in the middle of the street. You know, this must have been, it must have been one of the most amazing and gratifying experiences Peter had ever experienced. Don't you think? And so now that Peter knew this had really had happened, he embraced two certainties. First, he concluded beyond any doubt that the Lord had orchestrated his rescue. The facts of what happened couldn't be explained any other way. We have an angel. The shackle simply fell off his wrist. The guards remained totally unaware. And this huge iron gate just opened. Secondly, Peter concluded that Jesus had already warned him and the other apostles that they would suffer because of their belief in Christ. And Jesus also had assured them, though, of their suffering, he would help them in dangerous times. Verse 12. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. When he knocked at the door of the gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice because of her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter was standing in the front gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's his angel. But Peter kept knocking. And when they'd opened the door, they saw him and were amazed. Peter's next decision when he was standing there in the middle of the street was to reconnect quickly with fellow believers. Peter had reason to believe that he would find a, a group of Christians gathered at John Mark's mom's house. So he went there. Just a, a side note, this John Mark would soon be serving with Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. Well, in any case, these verses describe an amusing scene. And I think it was also filled with great irony. Peter, having walked out of the prison, past this massive iron gate that opened all on its own, he couldn't gain entrance to a simple gateway to a house. The door of Mary's house. And he banged on the door and he banged on the door until he got the attention of a teenage girl, Rhoda. But she, this teenage girl, got so excited and so overjoyed when she recognized Peter's voice, 
She ran inside and didn't open the door. She had to go and tell the others that Peter was standing outside. Of course, these adults that were gathered there, these believers, you remember these folks that we talked about earlier, the ones that had been praying, they were passionately and fervently praying for Peter's release. What do they say? They refused to believe this teenage news. They thought she was crazy. They didn't believe that Peter was there. They'd been praying for his release, but he's not Peter. But to her credit, Rhoda kept on assisting. It's Peter. Peter's at the door. And she kept talking. And they said, hey, it's your imagination. And she said, no, it's not my imagination. It's no ghost. It's no angel. It's Peter. The group inside kept on disbelieving. But Peter kept knocking and knocking. You know, the longer that he stood outside, the more dangerous it became for Peter. Anybody on the street could have come by and saw Peter standing there. But he kept knocking. And finally, they opened the door. And they discovered to their astonishment, this teenage girl, Rhoda, she was right. And what joy must have swept over the group as they realized that it was indeed Peter who stood there before them. Verse 17 says, But motioning to them with his hands to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had led him out of the prison, and how he said, Report these things to James and the brethren. Then he left and went to another place. Peter had to ask all those folks to, that were gathered to quiet down. They were so excited and they were so vocal and so noisy because he was there and not on death row, he had to quieten them down so he could be heard. So Peter told them what had happened that night. He explained to the group how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He likely also thanked these believers for their prayers, and he probably also urged them to be cautious of Herod because of their faithfulness to Christ. As he could not stay long, Peter wanted to make certain that James... And James was the oldest of Jesus' half-brothers. And he was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He wanted James and the other Christian leaders to know of his deliverance. And that they too should be warned of the king's likely reaction to Peter's rescue. Then it says that Peter left Jerusalem and went to a different place. He was away for some time after Herod's death. But he did return to Jerusalem to participate in a church council meeting. Verse 18, it says, Now when day came, there was no small disturbance among the soldiers as to what could have become of Peter. When Herod had searched for him, he had not found him. He examined the guards in order that they be led away to execution. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and was spending time there. Daybreak. Sunlight was up. This daybreak brought bad news for the prison guards. The guards that were responsible for guarding Peter. You know this words, no small disturbance? That was the world's greatest understatement. Can you imagine being one of the guards, the middle anguish that they were experiencing, the unrest? They were totally perplexed. How did Peter slip his chains, get dressed, walk past two guard posts, not one, but two through a locked iron gate, and then disappeared without a trace. You know, there was no doubt they also were struck with fear because these guards, 
Guards that allowed prisoners to escape often, often forfeited with their life. Luke reports that's exactly what Herod did. After the guards were questioned, he ordered their execution. Whether the king killed all 16 guards or just the four who were on duty at the time of Peter's deliverance, well, that's not recorded. But the difference between four or 16 would have meant nothing to such a, a ruthless tyrant. Afterwards, Herod decided to leave Jerusalem, and he retreated to his palace by the sea in Caesarea. Well, that's the story. You know, this is a story that had everything needed to keep a teenage boy's attention. We see action. We had suspense. We had an arrest. We had a jailbreak via a miracle. We had a villain, that evil, ruthless Herod. We had a hero, Peter. And then a superhero, God. Of course, we had to throw in a little comedy. We threw in a teenage girl. And an angel for good measure. What more could a teenage boy want in a story? You see, 50 years later, I still remember it. But there's more. There's so much more we can take from today's text, and I want to spend the rest of our time covering three thoughts. The first one is life. Great thought, don't you think? Men have been seeking the answer to this meaning of life since the dawn of time. And we have less than 15 minutes to provide some insight on this hard-to-handle thought. You know, looking back over our story, my first observation about life is, it's not fair. Life is not fair. How many times, how many times have you had that thought? How many times have you complained, life is not fair? When we look at the first three verses of today's text, we find some Christians being mistreated by Herod. Why? Only some? Why not? Why any of them at all? Or why not all of them? Yes, life is not fair. And we see the Apostle James being put to death. But not his brother John. Why not? Life is not fair. Then we see Peter being arrested and placed in jail because it pleased the Jews. Again, life isn't fair. Perhaps, perhaps this is a statement, is a matter of perspective. You know, when things are going great, do you, do we complain that life isn't fair? You know, do we complain when we have good health? Or when we have a great job? Or have a roof over our heads? Probably, probably not. But when we see someone or it happens to us that we have bad health, that we lose a job or even homelessness, then we complain. Life is not fair. But the next time, the next time you think life isn't fair, I want you to just pause just for a moment and ask yourself, who am I to determine unfair? Who am I to determine fairness? 
Did God, the great I am, seek my counsel when he created the earth in all of its abundance? Did I, was it me that created the universe and all that it contains? You see, the Bible tells us that God's ways and thoughts are different than ours. And I, I know that, you know, that's awful hard to understand and appreciate. But I have a secret for us that everyone here, all of us, you and I, we're the creation, not the creator. No, it would be like this little toy telling me how to build this toy. That would be ridiculous. It's ridiculous to think that we can tell God what should be done. The Bible tells us also that everyone has fallen short of God's perfection. And I think there's probably some folks here that really don't believe that statement. And I guess I'd have to ask you, what if you're wrong? What if just by chance the Bible is right? Could I ask you just to open up to that possibility? Jerry wanted me to use some videos, and he's been using props, so I decided that I would try to get some props in. And so if this works, it's going to be great. Tell Jerry about it. If it doesn't, let's keep it to ourselves. <laughs> in today's story, I'm going to use it with a measuring stick. This happens to be a meter stick for all you nerds. And we're going to measure goodness. Well, I just said that God is good. And so we're going to put God up here at the top of this measuring stick. Okay? And using our story, we have that evil, horrible guy called Herod. Well, he's got to be the opposite of God. So we're going to put him down here on the bottom of this measuring stick. Okay? I can see everybody's with me on that. And now the hero of our story, Peter. Peter said that, you know, he was a pretty good fellow all by accounts. But he also said he's not as good as God. So we're going to put him up here pretty close to the top, but not all the way. So my question for each of us, where are you on this meter stick? Where are you on this goodness stick? I'll give us the, the doubt and put us right here in the middle. Okay, we're not as, quite as bad as Herod or certainly not as good as God. Okay, so we're right there. So Peter had a plan. Peter had a plan to get from where he is on this measuring stick to be with God for all eternity. So we just move him right up here to be with God for all eternity. Now that leaves us here. How many of us have a plan to get from here to spend all of eternity with God? You know, there's a great many of you here in this room that has a plan to do that. But there are a few of you that don't have a plan. There are a few here in this room that don't know how to get from here to here. You think, oh, I'm going to come to church, and that'll be okay. Or you think, I'm going to put some money in the offering plate, and that's going to be okay. You think, oh, I can help little old ladies across the street, and that will help me. I can do some good stuff, and that will help me. But I'm sorry it doesn't work that way. You can't be good enough 
to get here. The Bible says that just doesn't work. But I'm excited to tell everybody here that I know the plan. And I can tell you the plan. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, you know, I know that some of you here will think only one way, that that's an arrogant statement. How can there only be one way? But again, I have to ask, what if you're wrong and there is only one way? What happens if the Bible is right and there is only one way? You know, put it another way, if there was a fire and we only had one door to get out and there was some guy there telling you, hey, that's the door to get out, how many of you would think that guy was arrogant? How many of you would think that guy was prejudiced because he told you the one way? I think most of us would consider that guy kind and considerate and loving. And you see, Jesus said that he is the way because he loves you. He loves you enough that he took your place down here and he took that so that you could be up here with God forever. That's how much he loves you. And you know, I started this off by saying life is not fair. Do you think it was fair for Jesus to leave heaven? To come and take our place on a cross? That's not fair. But what that is, that is love. That's God's love. Well, my second observation, looking back over our story, is purpose. What is our purpose for being? Have you ever thought, why was I born? In verse 17, it says, everyone is so excited to see Peter that he wasn't in jail that he had to quieten them down to talk. But notice, Peter didn't say, I did this, or I did that. Instead, Peter said, the Lord, the Lord led me out of prison. Peter's purpose was to glorify God. Just as Jesus had prayed in John 12, Father, glorify your name. Or when the angels announced the birth of Christ, they said, glory to God in the highest. You see, from these examples, we see our purpose. Our purpose is to bring God glory. Our lives should be pointing to him and giving this world a world, a view of God that exalts God, that glorifies God. That's our purpose. And my third observation when looking over our story is mission. Everyone in our story had a mission. And some of those missions weren't very good. The soldiers had to guard Peter. Herod wanted to please the Jews. We see James, John, and Peter being a faithful witness, even if it meant jail or death. We see the early church on mission of prayer. And speaking of prayer, on the 20th, that's the third Wednesday of this month, we have a time of prayer. One hour, we gather at 7 to 8 to pray. This morning, we have almost 200 people gathered in this room. Wouldn't it be great to see 200 people gathered here on the 20th to pray? So let me invite you and urge you to come. You won't have to pray out loud unless you want to. There'll be a lot of time for quiet prayer. There'll be a little song to go with it. Be here on the 20th, please.
We also see life groups. Life groups? Yes, we saw a life group gathered at Mary's house. They were there for prayer. But at that life group, we saw students gathered. John Mark was there, and we saw Rhoda joining in too. It seems everyone in our story had a mission. And if you're part of the ridge, then you know our mission. Our mission is to be a witness. So I want to close my, this out with a part of my story. I accepted Jesus as my Savior when I was 12 years old. About six months after my 30-something-year-old parents had accepted Christ. My dad was, and my mom still is, a great example for me and my two younger brothers. When they accepted Jesus, their lives were transformed. And they went on mission. You heard the old saying about every time the church house was open? Well, every time God's people met at First Baptist Church in Forney, well, there was one of the Medinas, or all the Medinas were there as well. In fact, there was many times that the Medinas were the only ones around the church. You see, my dad was a jack of all trades. And there was always, I can tell you, always something that needed to be done around a church property. Floors. Floors needed to be mopped. Floors needed to be vacuumed. Floors needed to be stripped. And floors needed to be waxed. Buses. Buses needed to be repaired. Walls. Walls needed to be painted. You name it. My brothers and I probably helped dad do it. My parents also volunteered. And one place they volunteered was middle school ministry. For decades. Decades is 10 years, by the way. For decades, many times, not only serving on Sunday morning, but they served on Sunday night and Wednesday night too. And back then, my parents only got two weeks vacation. And they would use one of those weeks as sponsors for student camp. I still remember the night that my dad moved his bunk against the door so the boys wouldn't sneak out of the cabin. And while on the other side of camp, my mom was chaperoning the girls, even though she only had sons. I can remember riding with my dad as he drove the church bus to pick up children to bring them to church. Or he'd drive the church van to pick up the senior ladies. Nineteen years ago, my parents went to early service. That's 8 a.m. They came home. They had a brunch. And shortly after, my dad went home to be with the Lord. Well, my mom's been retired for a while. And I can't say how long or you might guess her age. And she still tells me I'm not too old to be spanked. But for many years, every Monday morning that she's in my hometown, you'll find her at the church building, straightening up the worship center, picking up the trash that the folks have left from Sunday services. My parents have been an example for this year's theme of witness, life, purpose, mission. A life that is about being a disciple. A mission about making disciples. And that all ties back to our dear Savior and bringing glory to God, the great I Am. Our prayer for us this morning is that we too will be that witness. That witness that makes disciples. That witness that is a disciple that brings glory 
to our heavenly Father. Let's bow for prayer.